Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. Amen. Uh, this is one of my it's a little hot. One of my favorite stories in the Gospels that I am not going to walk through as I normally do every single Sunday. Uh, in part because I think that there is an opportunity here to step into, uh, to talk a little bit about how we as followers of Jesus mark time as a part of this community. Uh, Robert Jensen in his larger catechism refers to the resurrection as happening outside of and inside of time and space. In fact, you'll even notice there's sort of this God playing with it in the midst of this story. If you remember in one of the earlier gospel readings, I think most of the ways in which we imagine Easter is that the tomb roll, the stone rolls back and Jesus walks out, but that's actually not how the gospels describe it. The gospels describe it that as Mary and the women are coming to the tomb, that the stone rolls back and they find it empty. It is not until they come that it actually rolls back and they see that Jesus is not there because he is no longer bound as he was before. Because while Jesus was dead and has come back to life, it is not just simply a simple resuscitation. There is something new. New creation is breaking through. The resurrection, this Easter season, happens both inside of and outside of time. And so I want to spend a few moment, minutes this morning thinking together about what it means to celebrate Easter as a season. Many of us, no doubt, are used to Easter Sunday, right? It's the one big Sunday. In seminary, they said, pastors, it's your Super Bowl. I hate that. <laughs> it's not how I grew up. I didn't grow up with it being the Super Bowl. We didn't give away iPads, do free car washes. The most were donuts. I'm good with that. But it's the one big Sunday every year where we gather, we dress up, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. The house is packed. They always joke that the Sunday after is low Sunday. <laughs> A few of you got it. That's good. But we dress up. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Perhaps we maybe even attended Good Friday. But Easter Sunday, that was the big Sunday, especially in big E evangelical circles. And so many who step then into the liturgical tradition of the church are surprised to find out that Easter Sunday begins 50 days of Easter. Coming off the heels of 40 days of Lent in the wilderness and desert, we get 50 days of whoopee. 50 days celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, the seeds of new creation, the resurrection that resurrection brings. And as I said last week, in part, I think this is because there's such a mystery to what happens on that day. We need 50 days to explore it, to think about it. But even that will not be long enough. So we will take up our Easter celebration next year and the year after and so forth. But as we celebrate Easter for 50 days, it's because it's a practice that's embedded in a broader practice that we call the liturgical calendar or the sacred calendar. Or in the words of Karl Rahner, and I love how he puts it, the eternal year. Because friends, the way we mark time matters. Time, along with our attention and our money, is one of the most valuable resources that we have as human beings. We mark time, and how we mark time both determines, and I would argue reveals, what we think about our lives. What do we think about what it means to be human? What we think about who it is and what it is that we are meant to be. And we live out those understandings. A friend of mine says it this way. 
He would always say, if you hold your wallet to your ear, you'd hear your heart. I think the same would be true of our calendars. Take a look at my calendar and you will very quickly realize what it is I love. I love reading, so I have time marked out on my calendar for reading. I love my family, I have time blocked off for that. I love friends, I have time marked off for that. I love the church, I have time marked off for you. I love University of Georgia football. So every year, spring games, fall games, it's all on there. I have marked off time for that. I love backpacking trips. I've marked off time for that. We mark time. Whether that's a fiscal calendar, it's a school calendar. For any of you into gardening, it's a planting calendar. These are all good calendars. They're all needed and necessary calendars. But I would argue that for the follower of Jesus, there is something about the eternal year. The sacred calendar that invites us into a deeper way of being truly human. In the words of um, Joan Chittister in her wonderful book called The Liturgical Year, and in fact, uh, we've, we've always had this page on our website that talks about um, uh, the, the church calendar. So if you go to our website under formation, you can see a link, and we've linked this and a number of other really helpful books. But in her book, The Liturgical Year, she says this. She goes, the eternal year is about growing wiser, growing holier, growing more embedded in the essentials of life as the years go by rather than simply moving from one time of life to the next. The liturgical year is an adventure in bringing the Christian life to fullness, the heart to alert, the soul to focus. It does not concern itself with the question of how to make a living. It concerns itself with the question how to make a life, unquote. It concerns itself with the question of how to make a life. What a line. Our civic calendar marks time. No one year is the same. And each of our calendars look both similar and also incredibly different. And this is where I think there's immense beauty and goodness in the eternal year. Because in a cultural moment where for many of us, this is the most divided our culture has ever felt, the most at odds with one another. And so to enter into one of our most precious resources of time and to do it shoulder to shoulder with people who we love but probably disagree with on a lot of things, we enter into a rhythm and a flow as the community of Jesus into not just a story but the story, the story, the story of God, the story of God's pursuit of us, the story of hope. Friends, as followers of Jesus, one of the gifts the church gives us is that our year does not begin on January 1. It begins with Advent, with the birth of our King. January 1 marks the earth going around the sun one more time, but the first Sunday in Advent celebrates God becoming human. Our year begins and returns and is rooted in the story of life of the one who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. The revelation of God in whom all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or power, all things have been created through him and for him. He is himself before all things, and in him all things are held together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. 
And through him, God was pleased to reconcile us to himself, and not just us, but all things, whether on heaven or on earth, by making peace through Christ. Our year begins and ends and is held together by him. And so we begin with Advent. We move into Epiphany, immersing ourselves in the divine revelation, the self-disclosure of the instinctual heart of God that is Jesus. We move into Lent and then Easter and then ordinary time. Along the way, we mark time with feasts like the baptism of Christ, Holy Week, Pentecost, Christ the King. Each of these movements along the way creates space for us to be led deeper and deeper into the very life of God alongside and with God's friends. And thus, as we are led deeper into that, we are led deeper into what it actually means to be human. Because any version that offers you true humanity that is void of God lacks the essence of what it means to be human. And this is important because to not keep this in view means that the liturgical year just becomes another way of keeping time. But it's not. At its best, it's one central way we intentionally rearrange our lives to follow Jesus, to live as Jesus lives, to think as Jesus thought, to increasingly become the kind of person that Jesus was. Otherwise, our hopes of following Jesus... Our hopes of receiving and then giving away God's hospitality, God's restoration, and God's shalom become aspirational at best if there isn't some form of intentional rearranging of our lives that create us and create space for us to be formed into the kind of people that receive and give those things away. But it also means, and this, goes, this is true of anything when it comes to following Jesus, requires a comfortability at always returning to the beginning. In the words of so many wise saints that have walked this way before us, we always begin again. We always come back to Advent. We always move from Advent to Epiphany, to Lent, to Easter, to Pentecost, to ordinary time. Always we begin again with not just a story, but the story. The story that makes a sacrament of time and place. In today's gospel reading, again, Jesus appears to the disciples who are still um, huddled, afraid. They've seen the empty tomb. They've heard the women's testimony. They've seen the folded burial cloths, and still they lock the doors. Much the same way that Jesus leaves the tomb before the stone is rolled away, he just appears in their midst. The door is still locked and comes to them saying, peace be with you. He appears in their midst speaking shalom, speaking restoration. Jesus has resurrected, but something has changed. New creation is breaking through in time and place, and there are no longer constraints to time and place, especially when it comes to God's presence. Likewise, it's in our liturgy every single Sunday, at the Eucharist table and the seasons of the eternal calendar, that we meet Jesus. These practices are the breaking in of new creation of Christ with us actually with us, not, hmm, it's kind of nice you're remembering him, like you sit around a memorial and you remember stories of the person who's passed. And in that way, doesn't it just feel like they're with us? It is not that. It is an actual inbreaking of new creation. It is an actual inbreaking of the presence of Jesus with us, in us, around us. 
The one of whom John proclaims in his apocalypse to him who loves us and freed us from our bondage and made us to be a kingdom priest serving his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Look, he is coming. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And on his account, all the tribes of the earth will wail. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the one who comes. If you've heard our rule of life here at All Souls, you know that it opens with the line, because we are a community in the way of Jesus, we commit to be obedient to Jesus, submitting to him as Lord over our life. This rule of ours articulates that we claim Jesus as king above earthly rulers, above anything that we could long for or pledge our allegiance to. Jesus is king. Or as a friend recently described his rule of life, it captures our aspirations of how we hope to be present in this moment. I love that. In fact, our rule of life Sunday every year is held on the feast of Christ the King. Friends, I would submit to you this morning that one simple and beautiful and profound way that we embody not just our rule, but more importantly, what our rule claims, the kind of people we aspire to be, a people under the lordship and kingship of Jesus is through the liturgy and the rhythm of the eternal year. In this, we immerse ourselves in the story of God become human. It is the story. We immerse ourselves in its death, depth and in its beauty. And as we slowly look back over our lives, we look back and just maybe, just maybe catch a glimpse of God's life. The life of love, of joy, Peace, kindness, generosity, hospitality, and restoration. That life has made its way into the nooks and crannies of our lives. We immerse ourselves slowly in the life of Jesus that stands in the midst of his friends, even now, bearing his wounds. He comes back not without wounds. Bearing his wounds and says, peace, shalom, wholeness, resurrection be with you. And in this immersion, where all this is headed is that he claim, he, his life claims us too. And we become heralds of that life for the sake of the world. Since the earliest days of the church, every Christian knew that all facets of life had their source in one reality. It led to one reality, was held together in one reality, and that is the reality of God with us. Emmanuel, God with us, which we begin every eternal year with. The divine disclosure of what God is like in Jesus. The message of the radical availability of God's kingdom here and now. An availability that, of a reality that is not forced upon us. That you and I have to give, must give our amen to. It's a reality, a story that we must pray and think and live our way into. St. Augustine famously stated in a much more beautiful way than I'm about to put it, you and I are more than brains on a stick. We are beings who love, who desire, who want. And we, make our, and we mark our days and we mark our time in the midst of a world deep, uh, loved deeply by God, called good by God, but often blinded to the reality that God is love and life. And that what it means to be human is to be immersed in the life of God. We live and move in a world that is not always set up for us to find our rest in God. 
Week after week, we're swimming in waters that foster shame where God intends for there to be belovedness. We swim in waters that foster exhaustion where God intends for there to be rest. We swim in waters that foster a rat race where God intends for there to be community and self-giving friendship. And so every Sunday, we gather in this little elementary school. We set up the sound system, the welcome table, the Eucharist table, the kids' space, the artwork. We gather in seats that are, let's be honest, a little less uncomfortable, in a room whose acoustics are way less undesirable. We gather on Zoom to watch from our homes, isolated and alone. We come with all we have lived the previous week or since the last time we were here, with all of our old or fresh wounds in need of healing of a word of peace or comfort. We come with our disordered desires, our disordered loves. We come collecting together our stories and our experiences, and we come to this Christ table. We are gathered by God to sing and pray prayers. God speaks to us as we listen to scripture, to the proclamation of the gospel, and then we respond, we are fed by God as we eat and drink at his table. And then God sends us out as his people into his world for its sake. Or in the word of Rowan Williams, we, quote, have the nerve to call God what Jesus called him. Because of the spirit we share with Jesus as a result of being baptized, immersed in the life of Jesus, unquote. In the tradition of the Christian church, going back to the earliest days of the church, Sundays have always been understood as little Easter's. Every Sunday is a whoopee Sunday. Moments when we gather to glimpse, to long for, to work for the inbreaking of new creation. Every Sunday we gather to create space for Holy Spirit, to do what only Holy Spirit does, to reorient our hearts to the one who stands in our midst, bearing his scars and wounds, saying, peace be with you. And perhaps you are not ready to hear those words. Perhaps in this moment you find yourself, you've been immersed in a different calendar, a different way of marking time, where even the little Easter's are infrequent at best, painful. To you, the same Christ who is always here doesn't shame and doesn't belittle, but gathers you, looks to you as he did Thomas and the others that day and says, peace be with you. He feeds you, and then he sends you out again into his world. In his collection of sonnets from each day of the liturgical calendar called Sounding the Seasons, Malcolm Guide opens the collection with this sonnet that I want to close with this morning. He writes this, tangled in time, we live with hints and guesses, turning the wheel of each returning year. But in between our failures and successes, we sometimes glimpse the love that casts out fear. Sometimes the heart remembers its own reasons and breathes a sanctus as we tell our story, tracing the tracks of grace, sounding the seasons that lead us last through the time to timeless glory. From the first yearnings for a savior's birth to the full joy of knowing sins forgiven, he, we gather as his church on God's good earth to share an echo of the choirs of heaven. I share these hints, returning what was lent, turning to praise each mo moment's monument. Friends, Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. 
In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.